Hey, Leading Learning listener, if you represent a membership organization looking for ways to expand your online course catalog rapidly with high quality content, we have good news. At leadinglearning.com AMA, you can find out how to make online training from the American Management Association available to your learners. Through a partnership between AMA and Tagoras, the parent company of Leading Learning, you can give your learners access to more than 70 e-learning modules covering essential business topics ranging from leading and innovating, to managing projects effectively, to working in hybrid teams. For details on how to grow your catalog with courses from a true global leader in management training, visit leadinglearning.com AMA. If you're a leader, or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 48 of the Leading Learning Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk with Phil Mershon, who is the Director of Events at Social Media Examiner. That's a company that's been very successful with both place-based and virtual events. And we're going to talk to Phil in particular about Social Media Examiner's virtual events. But before we do that, we want to be sure to highlight our upcoming Leading Learning Symposium, an event designed specifically for senior leaders at organizations in the business of lifelong learning, continuing education, and professional development. The symposium takes place this year on October 24th and 25th in Baltimore, and we have a great group coming together for it. You can find out what the symposium is all about, and you can see the great things that last year's attendees had to say about it by going to the event website at symposium.leadinglearning.com. We'd also like to thank Nailer Learning Solutions in partnership with Blue Sky eLearn for being the sponsor for this episode of the Leading Learning Podcast. And you can find out more about Nailer Learning Solutions at nailer.com slash learning hyphen solutions. So Jeff, you had the opportunity to talk with Phil Mershon, and I know that that was probably a great conversation. Can you give us a little bit of a taste of what it is that you talked about with Phil? Yeah, definitely. I mean, virtual events we know uh, are an area that many of our listeners are interested in. Some of them have taken the leap into virtual events. Some have not. Social Media Examiner is a company that has uh, taken a big leap into virtual events. It's a, a major part of their business model, has been from, from day one. And so we really wanted to dig into you know what's made them so successful in, in building an audience and, and launching these very successful virtual events. So Phil and I talk about you know some of those factors that have made uh, virtual events events so successful for Social Media Examiner. We also talk about the relationship between their virtual event and the very successful place-based event that they've now uh, launched in, in the aftermath of having been successful with virtual events. Um, and then finally, we talk about uh, their social media marketing society. So this is something that, uh, you know, having had success with virtual events and then having had success with place-based events, they formed a, a society, a, a membership uh, community that uh, is now also a major part of their, their business model. So we talk about all of those things. And uh, I, I think just about anybody who has an interest in virtual events is going to find something of interest here. Well, my interest is definitely peaked. So let's take a listen to what you and Phil had to say.
Hey there, this is Jeff Cobb, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Phil Mershon, who is the Director of Events at Social Media Examiner. And we're going to be digging into what Social Media Examiner is doing with its events, particularly its virtual events. But before that, Phil, welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. Hey, it's great to be here, Jeff. Well, thanks so much for taking the time. And um, I know that I personally have been following Social Media Examiner, I, I think, since since launch, since, since day one, as part of my daily life. But I suspect there are probably folks listening here for whom Social Media Examiner may not be a daily part of their lives. Could you, could you just tell a little bit about you know, what you are, who you serve, and, and what your role is there? Absolutely. Social Media Examiner's been around almost seven years. Uh, next month in October of 2016 will be seven years. We serve social media marketers and business owners who want to understand what works in social media today. So we've had a magazine a style blog from the day one. We publish six days a week. We also have a podcast. We have a live show on Fridays that we do as well as we've been doing online events that entire time. Plus, we have a a conference and a membership site. And I'm in charge of the conference and the online events. Well, great. And obviously, that's one of the, the big things we're here to talk about. Um, and I, I think it's been amazing to, to see your evolution. Like I said, you know, back when I first became familiar with you, it was that it was the blog um, and, uh, and kind of uh, developing forward from the blog. But it seems like you moved pretty quickly into making virtual events part of your overall business model. And, and I actually had the opportunity to, to talk with Michael Stelzner a, a while back, and I was surprised at how much a part of the business model virtual events were. So can you tell us a little bit about you know, what you offer in, in, in terms of virtual events? And is it, is it down to the one a big, big event a year right now, or do you have others that you're doing? So I'll actually correct your history slightly here. Mike did his first social media success summit before he launched Social Media Examiner, Ah, and that was partially a test. So he was doing online events as part of his copywriting business. He had the copywriter um, success summit and a couple of others that he did back then that I was not involved with. And that was kind of a test to see, is there a market for this? Um, So that's why it was so integral to to our uh, business model in the early days. Mm. Back in the early days, we were doing three or four uh, success summits a year. And then after about two or three years in 2012, we said, you know, our community seems to want to meet each other and it might make sense if we do an in-person conference. So that's what we did in 2013. Uh, We had the first social media marketing world. Um, But to your question about today, we have one online event and one physical event, and then we also have the membership uh, society that we started uh, formally about a year and a half ago, although there were a couple iterations of that prior to that that were not paid. Great, and, and I definitely want to talk about the, the relationship between the virtual event, the live event, and the, the membership society that you now have and how those you know complement each other um, in various ways. But before we get to that, just to, to stay focused in on the virtual events for uh, just a minute here. I mean, it seems like, as you said, you know, Mike did it as a, as a test initially and then really kind of grew social media media examiner out of that. But it was obviously it was a successful test. And from what I can tell, you've been extremely successful with virtual events, with all your events, really, but certainly with virtual events, um, really all along the way. And 
you know, a, a lot of organizations we found try virtual events. Um, a lot don't, uh, and, and we wish they would. But, uh, you know, out of the ones that try, they don't necessarily have the level of success that you've had with them. So, I, you know, what do you feel are really the, the key factors that have made your events uh, successful? There's at least two things. I'm sure I'll think of a third because I believe in trilogies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, there's at least two things. One is having excellent content. So Mike has worked very hard. And then since I've been part of the team, we've worked hard to maintain relationships with thought leaders who we know can deliver excellent content that's relevant, that's fresh, that's going to um, be exactly what our audience wants to learn. Um, I have thought of the third thing. So Great content is critical, and we've, you know, just with with our magazine, we maintain a very high editorial standard, and we do the same with our events. So I think many events don't succeed because there's maybe a variety of quality. I can't speak to other events, but I know that's one critical factor. The second, and it's related to that, is that our content is very much related to research. So we do an annual survey every year, and sometimes we do more than one uh, reader survey during the year to really understand what is it that our audience is wrestling with. And so we tailor the content of our online event to exactly the questions they say they have. So we're able to do a subset. Here's what people who formally have attended this event are saying. Here's what we know our online event tends to attract people who are in small businesses, mostly the people who are doing the social media themselves, as opposed to um, delegating that to an agency or somebody else. And so we understand what their needs are. They want highly tactical sessions. So we curate content that is exactly according to what they've said. And I'd say the third success factor is just having a good marketing plan. Mm. Um, Over the years, Mike's a marketer by nature. In the early days, he and I did it together. I just kept him focused. But over time, he's hired other people to join the marketing team. And they understand, you know, whether it's through social media or Google ads or just email marketing or on our website, um, they understand, again, what is it that our audience is going to respond to. They're constantly testing. Um, We've had success, I would say, because of those three things, great content that is according to the needs of our audience and really understanding how to get the word out. And you... You know, really do do a great job marketing. In fact, I often point organizations to the landing pages for the Social Media Success Summit and for the uh, the the face to face event to say, you know, here's here's how to do the marketing well. But there there was something in there, actually, a couple of things you mentioned there in there that I wanted to to highlight a little bit. One was that you mentioned, you know, with the content itself, but that's so dependent upon having those relationships with the people who really are, you know, at, at the forefront of, of their particular area of marketing and, and social media. And, and I get the impression that you really make an effort to, to cultivate those relationships, uh, maybe to have some of those people writing for you or have them on the podcast, but in, in a variety of ways to really build a strong relationship with your, with your subject matter experts. Um, is, that, is, that, is that right? I mean, that just day in and day out, are you doing things to really cultivate that relationship? Yeah, some are intentional and, you know, kind of formal things that we do, like having them write for us or strategically having them on the podcast or our our live show that we do on Fridays, which is a more of a news kind of format where we have three or four different segments and we'll bring in a roving reporter, if you will, who is somebody that tries to stay up to date 
and that's a way that we maintain relationships mm-hmm. with people. But also we go to conferences like we just got back from Content Marketing World and specifically had people out to dinner and lunch and maintain relationships by just being in person. We also have a social media team that they are watching the content being produced by the thought leaders that we want to maintain relationships with as well as people that are on our radar. So, you know, we're also constantly looking for the next voices, you know, who are the next people who are going to break out because some people move on to different industries, others become stagnant. So we need to know who are the new voices who have something to say. Right, right. And I love the way you're tying that in with, as you said, the research you're doing just broadly across what's happening in social media, but also then, you know, knowing what the people who are actually attending your events are, are interested in and, and, and using that to continue to, to shape the events. So let, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, since content is so important, um, how you come up with, how you structure the content for something like the Social Media Success Summit. Because, uh, you know, I, I think it's it's very interesting when I look at it, that that's an event that takes place over four weeks, um, mm-hmm. you know, with, you know, multiple days per week, multiple sessions per day, um, you know, and, and really provides a, a, a broad but very strong mix uh, of content. So can you talk a little bit about just, you know, what it takes to to put that together, you know, is it all live? Is some of it recorded? Uh, you know, how are you providing for interaction among the people who are attending? So, yeah, the format is all the sessions are live. We do the sessions three or four days a week, three sessions per day for the entire month of October. So there'll be 13 days, 39 sessions this time. That that formula has changed I think a couple of years ago, we had 45. The audience said too much. Mm. Uh, last year, it was 36. We decided to bump it up because there, there were three sessions we just had to have. And, uh, you know, it's a lot to take in live. In fact, we tell people don't try to take it all in live because it's, it's probably not all relevant. We, we structure the days, and this is something we stumbled upon a couple of years ago. We used to just do it randomly. We, we just put things together based on the schedule of the speaker. Now we actually try to drive the day's topics by a theme. Mm. So we'll have a LinkedIn day or we'll have a, a Pinterest day or an Instagram day or two or three days that are focused on Facebook. And then we mix it up throughout the event. But so we'll tell someone, you know, if Instagram's not your thing, don't worry about showing up that day. Um, and look at the title. You know, you may not need to attend all the sessions on that day. But we do the sessions live, recorded on GoToWebinar. We've used a couple different platforms over the years, but that's the one we're, we're using this year. We encourage the engagement to happen via Twitter using the event hashtag. Uh, so if they're attending the live sessions, that's where a lot of the engagement will be. But we also have a private LinkedIn group and we have a Facebook event page that's public facing. So most of the interaction happens within LinkedIn and on the Twitter hashtag. Uh, given that the Facebook event page is public facing, there's a lot of different kinds of conversations that happen there. And uh, people don't tend to go and ask uh, their detailed questions or network on that spot. But then people can, you do provide them with um, the recordings afterwards so they're able to get yes. back and, and, and reaccess things or access things they weren't able to in the first place. 
Yeah, and this may match up with others' experience, but in our experience, between 25 and 35% of the people show up live Mm -hmm. on any given day, and everybody else is choosing to watch the recordings. We we release the recordings as soon as they're available, so typically within two or three hours, they're all posted, and we'll send out a notice, hey, they're available. Um, So many people, that's what they have to do. Our our audience is all around the world. Only about 60% are in North America. So we're, we try to time it to match time zones that will work for a lot of people. But, you know, it's 11 o'clock at night for people in, in uh, Eastern Europe. And it's uh, very early in the morning in Australia. And <laughs> so not everybody wants to make that sacrifice. But then again, some do. I know stories of people who get up at five o'clock every morning in Australia and spend the first three hours of their day during the summit listening while they do other things. Uh, so just, you know, we try to make it as accessible as we can. Yeah, no, it's great to have that option. And do you just post those um, somewhere on the website, uh, you know, behind a login or do you have a special platform Correct. for it? That's, that's how you do it. Yeah. Yeah. We just use a WordPress uh, website behind a login and uh, just post the videos there. We use Vimeo to record them mm-hmm. and uh, stick them up there. Great, great. And so I want to you know, now kind of um, segue a little bit uh, towards your, your live event and then eventually you know, to talk about what you're doing at the Social Media Marketing Society because um, yeah, in, in many ways I, I feel like you've followed a path that's almost the opposite of what a lot of the organizations that would be listening to this podcast have uh, followed. I mean, most of most of the listeners are going to be trade and professional associations, membership organizations. So they 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 founded some sort of association or society and then launched an event, and then maybe they're thinking about going virtual now. But you really started with virtual events and then you know moved to the the place based event that that you now have annually, which I think you know if I understand correctly also attracts a, a very large uh, audience. Um, to start off with, do you find much overlap between you know the, the people who show up for your, your face-to-face event and the social media success summit that you're doing online? My, the studies that we've done show it's only about a 10 to 20% overlap. Hmm. Um, you know, you have to put in context, our magazine gets somewhere around a million people every month visiting and reading our content. So the number of people that show up to either our virtual or physical conference is minuscule. Um, we'll typically get about 3,000 to either one. You know, we're actually hoping to 4,000 on both of them this year, but that's still a small number compared to a million readers. Um, I, repeat your question. I could answer a lot of different things there. Well, I was just, you know, wondering about the overlap between them, and, and you answered that. So it sounds like, you know, not a not a huge amount of uh, overlap between them, maybe a, a little bit. Um, but then I'd also wonder about. Um, you know, they're very different types of, of events. Uh, and, you know, they're obviously the logistical difference be, differences between having a, a place-based event and having something online. But are, are, there, are there other key differences in sort of, you know, how you think about the positioning of those events, who you're going after, how you market them? Um, you know, because a lot of the f- folks who are listening, they've already got their place-based event, and now they're f- trying to figure out this whole virtual thing. You know, so how do you think about them differently? How do you go about them differently? Yeah, and I I will say one thing of why we started the way we did. You know, we started as an online company, online magazine, and we saw a community build. So we kind of went about it reverse just because of the our origins. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that I would differentiate the two events is that the online event is almost 100% tactics focused, whereas the physical conference in terms of content has a mixture of tactics and strategy. Um 
I think when people get together, they want to be able to share stories about what you're doing and be able to dig deeper both into strategy and tactics. But there's a lot of great material available even for free as far as tactics go online. Mm -hmm. And so when you get together, you want to go, well, let's pull back the curtain. What's really working for you? What's not working? Here's some analytics. Here's some insights that you might not be able to capture when you're just watching my screen online or I can't really write about it. Um, So at the physical conference, a huge focus for us after content is networking, which obviously social media makes online networking possible too, but it just goes to a whole different level Mm -hmm. when you're in person. And we know many of the people in our audience, that's why they come is that, Hey, I've been following so-and-so for, you know, six months or a year or a couple of years. I would love to meet that person or, I, you know, I feel all alone in what I do. I'm a social media marketer and I, I live in Wichita, Kansas, and I actually know people like this who, you know, I feel like I'm the only person in Wichita, Kansas who does what I do. I show up at the conference. All of a sudden, I find out there's seven other people like me, and that group of people now goes out for beers once a month in Wichita, but they met in San Diego, you know, and it's just a bizarre story. So we make that possible. We spend a lot of resource and time thinking about how do we make that possible in addition to providing the content that they want. But it's it's a greater mix of content at the live event. We do a lot of industry roundtables, uh, topic-based roundtables, whereas at the online event, it's very strictly you know, a 45-minute session of here's how to do this on Pinterest, here's how to do that on Facebook, things that we know people need to know or have told us they want to know uh, based on our research. Great. So online sounds like, you know, very practically, tactically oriented, uh, face-to-face, uh, much much more, still tactical, but much more strategic and, and community-driven. Um, and do you, do you feel like you make a, you know, concerted, conscious effort to differentiate that way in your marketing and how you communicate it out to the audiences you you serve yeah i mean it might be subtle to some in -hmm. terms of what's being said uh you know but there will be better language on the if you look at the social media marketing world page there's going to be more language talking about analytics and strategy and some of those types of things that's not there on the summit page. But, you know, if you were to grab the virtual pass, which we sell a recording pass from our physical conference, um, you can listen to all those and it's going to be a similar experience Mm -hmm. as listening to the recordings from the summit. They're similar length of session. You know, you're going to hear live questions in the room as opposed to a live question asked over the airways on the online event. Um, you're going to, frankly, get a lot more content. Um, if you go to the physical conference and get that recording pass, Um, But you're also going to find a lot more stuff that's not relevant to your business because there's so much greater variety. So the online event really being focused on tactics, that's for the practitioner. We're not addressing the issues that a manager or director or, you know, someone else within the company might be asking. Whereas at the conference, you've got all that variety, even agencies. We've got tracks for agencies and people implementing social care programs. So there's a lot of kind of ancillary topics that you know you have to address when you've got three or 4,000 marketers in the same building. They're not all asking the same questions. And if you want them coming back, you've got to provide them opportunity to learn about and talk about those things. Right, right. Well, now, and, and before we you know start wrapping up here, um, I, I do want to also make sure to ask about 
the the social media marketing society and kind of how that fits into all of this. I mean, you've you, you've had these very successful events, um, but but more recently, and you can correct me if I if I have my history wrong again. Uh, I think the social media marketing society came after all of the other things. Was that just a natural evolution based on having built these communities around the events? Well, so what's interesting is we've always created a private LinkedIn group around all the online events, the summits that we do. And I, I'm going to have my history a little bit mixed up here too, in terms of the exact dates, but we started a version of the social media marketing society. We called it the social media marketing networking club. Right. And it was a free membership uh, community on online that we had for about a year, a year and a half. And then we, realized that LinkedIn had way better tools for it. And we were spending a whole lot of money um, on maintaining something that LinkedIn was already providing for free. So we migrated to LinkedIn. But after a year there, we saw that the LinkedIn communities are becoming way more spammy. And it was, mm. we were spending a lot of time just keeping it clean. So when we realized that people wanted content year round, so we started the the membership site, we call it the Marketing Society. Um, about a year and a half ago, we announced it at the conference in 2015, and it launched in July of 2015. So I think we're not even at a year and a half yet. Um, that is a year-long community. We provide three training sessions every month, plus a networking hangout. We've got a curated forum where people can ask questions of each other. Um, you know, People are a lot more invested in that community. They tend to be people who are agencies or people who need deeper um, cutting edge knowledge of what works, things that um, aren't being talked about online. That content has probably not been around for more than a couple of months in general. Um, we're breaking things in there and breaking it down and showing you exactly how it works, um, as well as providing, you know, here's some of the latest on how Facebook ads are working, or here's here's what you need to know about LinkedIn ads now that maybe wasn't there a few months ago, that kind of stuff. Right, right. And this may be a difficult question to, to answer, but I, I sort of wonder just in terms of your your company identity, I mean, you're, you're obviously you know, a for-profit uh, company, you're not a, a non-profit association, but um, I mean... I, to what extent has it impacted your identity, if at all? I mean, do you think of yourself as being anything like, you know, say the American Marketing Association at this point, or is this just like a, a completely different take on, you know, the, the concept of society? We would, oh, in terms of the society? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's not trying to be anything like AMA or any of those trade associations. It's really trying to be a learning community, mm. um, a place where people can learn, help each other. Um, we see that as a need that our audience had. We again did some careful surveys to test our theory that people wanted this. And overwhelmingly people said, yes, I'd pay for a place to go where I wouldn't have to spend so much time reading a hundred journals, um, hundred, you know, sites to keep up to date. Instead, here's a place I can go. And I know the things that they're teaching me is being taught by some of the best thought leaders. And these are the very things that I need to understand to stay up to date. And then there's places to discuss it. You know, the, some very active conversations that happen behind closed doors, you know, that you wouldn't find elsewhere. And so 
you know, there's a lot of value, but it's not trying to be a trade association. It's uh, it's something people pay for, and if it's no longer valuable, they cancel their membership. So it's on us to make sure it's valuable. Gotcha, gotcha. And and you framed it as a, as a learning community, which I think is a, a great segue as we uh, head towards the the end of our conversation here. Um, Learning, obviously, is, is the, the focus of this particular uh, podcast. It's the Leading Learning Podcast. And we like to ask every guest we have on about their learning habits. Um, you know, what, what do you do as a lifelong learner day in, day out, week in, week out to, to make sure that you stay on top of your game? So what are, what are some of the, you know, of your own lifelong learning habits? Listening to podcasts. I don't listen to yours, I'm afraid, but I, I listen to ones that are in my space sure. that, you know, some that are about leadership and management to keep um, fresh on that edge. And then also a couple in our industry on social media, just to understand what people are talking about. So podcast is definitely one. I also read books. Um, I like to read physical books. I'm not a digital guy. I like to hold it and mark it up and um, feel like I accomplished something when it's done and go back to it. So, you know, I probably read at least a couple books a month, if not more, and then um, go to conferences. So I ostensibly I go to conferences to talent scout, but I'm also learning while I'm there. I always walk away with some new ideas or go in there with some things that I want to discuss. So I think, uh, you know, good conversations about topics can really be one of the best ways for me to learn. And then I, I assign myself assignments uh, of things that I want to learn because for me, I'm kinesthetic and I like to get my hands dirty. And I learn the most if I have to present it or have to do something with a topic. So, you know, I like to have research assignments occasionally about something that I'm really curious about or know that I need to know more about. So those are some of my habits. Okay, well, I will give you the assignment of uh, listening to at least this episode of the Leading Learning Podcast uh, once we've got it posted. Um, And for those who are listening at at this point, um, how can they get in touch with you and how can they find out more about Social Media Examiner and its events? I assume you can provide some links, but I'm happy for folks to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'm Phil underscore Mershon on Twitter, Phil.Mershon on LinkedIn. My email, feel free to reach out, phil at socialmediaexaminer.com. Great. Yeah, we definitely will provide those links as well as links to Social Media Examiner and to the the various events and, and all the other great stuff that you do there. So, Phil, thanks so much for taking the time to talk today. Thanks for inviting me. That wraps up our interview with Phil Mershon. And as we're exiting, we'll mention our fall event, the Leading Learning Symposium, one more time. You can get information about that, which is coming up in October at symposium.leadinglearning.com. And again, thanks to Naylor Learning Solutions in partnership with Blue Sky eLearn for sponsoring this podcast episode. To get show notes for this episode, just go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 48. And while you're there, we'll hope you'll take advantage of the various options there are for subscribing to the podcast if you're not already subscribed. If you are getting value out of the Leading Learning Podcast, please click that subscribe button and join us on a weekly basis. We'd be grateful if you'd take a minute to give us a rating on iTunes as well. And to do that, you can go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. We really and truly appreciate this. And it makes it a lot easier for other would-be listeners to find the podcast. Finally, we hope you'll consider telling others about the podcast. And you can send out a tweet simply by going to leadinglearning.com slash share. And that'll 
pop up a tweet for you that's already pre-filled with some content. Or if tweeting isn't your thing, you can uh, cut and paste that content into Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever your social network of preference is. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.